Thank you, Jim. Well, this morning we continue our series in the book of Luke, and so I encourage you to grab a Bible. You'll really need it today. I I didn't put the the main text in your outline. I gave some cross-references for you to look at, but I really want to get into the text today. Um, It it always seems to me, I think I mention this every time we we have a a mini break in our series, it seems like it's been forever since we've been in Luke. It's only been one Sunday. We had the opportunity last week to be challenged with the opportunities that we have as a church to engage unengaged people groups particularly in West Africa and Burkina Faso, and we're just uh, looking for God's leadership and guidance in the specifics of that. But this morning we get back to look at the truth, and anytime we're in God's Word, it's the truth, but particularly in the Gospel of Luke, it's a stated purpose of writing this. I want you to know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught, which means sometimes the things we're taught are not the truth, and so we, get, we need to be discerning what is the truth. And so Luke writes his account of Jesus to make sure people are getting it straight. And he wasn't saying this in contrast to the the gospel of Matthew or Mark or John, but other things that had been written. And so this morning we're looking about the truth about lessons to learn. Uh, When you were growing up, did you you ever have your parents say, did did you learn your lesson? Maybe you did something, you messed up, and I was like, did you you learn your lesson this time? Are you going to get it right the next time? And it might have been you were at the table and you know, he had the glass of milk or orange juice or whatever it was too close to the end of the table. And what did you do with it? You knocked it off. And then you had to go clean it up. And then did, did you learn your lesson? Which means don't do it the next time. Or I was, I was trying to think of lessons I had to learn. In fact, are still learning uh, in the most obvious ways. I have a lot of lessons to learn. But um, uh, if you, do, you ever, uh, do you have certain food items that you know you're supposed to cool before you eat them or, or drink them? Uh, for me, it's like pizza. If the pizza's really hot and... And someone said, well, you make, better make sure you let it cool a little bit before you try to eat it. Because when you eat cheese that's still hot, where does it stick? At the top of your mouth. And what do you do with it? It just burns it. Right now you've got this callus on the top of your mouth. You can't taste anything for the rest of the day or evening because you, you couldn't wait to take that first bite. And I'm thinking, man, when am I going to learn my lesson? Just wait a little bit. Uh, so there's all kinds of lessons to learn, but what happens to us after a while, we think, well, you know, that's, that's when I was just really young that I had lessons to learn. I don't need to learn any more lessons. But the reality is we always have lessons to learn, and if we are really honest with ourselves, we have lessons to relearn. Have you ever, have you ever noticed we have a tendency to repeat our mistakes, right? We, we have a tendency to keep doing the things we know we shouldn't do, and we just keep doing them, and so... We need to learn our lessons. And so you see, Jesus, often when he taught, he would, he would either repeat the message, uh, and we have some various accounts of that in, in the Gospels, but often he would just say the same thing in a slightly different way because he wanted to get it across that you've still got to learn some things, and you haven't learned until you put it into practice. And some have said this, that tr- truth that is simply academic is, is really not much truth at all until it's active, until it's lived out. And as we're going to look at, these lessons are really lessons of faith, faith lessons. And, and faith is not, is not really applied until that faith has been tested, right? You know, we need to trust God when this happens. Well, until it happens, how do we know whether we're going to trust God when it happens, right? You still with me? So, so we're going to look at it this morning. We're going to look at Jesus uh, speaking right after he had kind of prepped them about you know, people who don't always have ears to hear, or, or it looks like maybe initially they might have gotten it, but they didn't get it because it didn't grow deep. Remember the parable of the sowers? 
parable of the sowers, you had, you had the roadside seed, and that was pretty obvious that that, that seed wasn't going to grow because the ground was on the surface too, too hard that you couldn't penetrate it with light. And then you had that, look, that which looked good on the surface, but it was, it was superficial. And that is true in Israel because they have some places where the ground looks pretty good, but you know, three or four inches below that is limestone, and you're not going to grow anything out of that. And then you had even ground that looked even better than that, but the problem is in the midst of that soil that looked healthy was infested with all kinds of weeds, the distractions and the addictions and the, the pathways of this world that cause people to say, I'm not sure I want to go that way, God's way. Look at all these other things that are around and that faith gets choked out. But there is a soil which will bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold because it really has life and it's taken root. But then he moves on just like any preacher. The preacher preaches one message on Sunday and then the next Sunday he preaches what? Another message. And so this is what Jesus did. He preaches another message and in it he, he begins to build on everything else he has said. And, and so this morning I, I put it under the, the mantle of the truth about lessons to learn, faith lessons. And here's my summary, and then we'll go back and look at some details. Faith lessons. We all need to learn this. We all have privileges and responsibilities. Have you found that true in life? There are certain things you just need to do, whether you want to do them or not, because there's a responsibility. Of course, there's another way to look at responsibilities. You could say this is a privilege. You know, like my parents, when they ask me to take out the trash, or I tell my kids to take out the trash, and why do I have to do it? Well, this is a privilege. This is a, this is a privilege to, to be in this house. If you want to eat next time, just take the trash out, right? There's a privilege. And to think of how much you show love to your dad and your mom. It's a privilege. Uh, sec- a privilege and responsibility. Secondly, um, we all have levels of relationships. Isn't that true? I mean, we're going to talk about that. Jesus says some powerful things here. But life is built on relationships, isn't it? You know, we're, we're no, no one's an island. We have people around us. And then thirdly, we all have challenges to our faith. So here's some lessons to learn. So let's, uh, let's try to attack that this morning. We all have privileges and responsibilities. In Luke chapter 8, 16 through 18, which is right after the parable of the sowers, Jesus makes some statements, and we'll just take these one at a time. Verse 16, he says, Now, kind of, okay, you've, you've just heard about something that some people are not going to understand, but some people will because they're, they're open to what I'm saying. Now, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed, but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. And you're thinking, Jesus, I think I've heard this before. You know, this, this doesn't seem to be a, a lesson that, that is brand new. But it's a lesson to learn because they weren't, they weren't what? They weren't doing it. Or they weren't prepared to do it. And, and often that's how we kind of think about, you know, spiritual or religious things. Well, that's, that's kind of good to know. That's interesting. Or at least it's something for to think about. And then we leave. And we all do that. But well, no, 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 no. You don't get this. It's, it's not something that you are learning just intellectually. This is to be put into, fill in the blank, put into practice, right? He said, well, let me give you something familiar, something old to teach you something, in a sense, new in terms of how you're living it out. Your life is just like a lamp. And they had what they called terracotta lamps, which was basically they were made out of like little pitchers and they were put on a saucer and they had a wick in it and put some oil in it and it wasn't huge. You'd light the lamp and then uh, 
you would use it to light up a room or light up a path. And he says, uh, just by the way, no one, no one does that and then puts a container over it. Uh, yeah, no, no one w- would put something under that under a bed. Because no one needs light under a bed unless you're trying to clean underneath the bed. And no one puts it in a container because then the light isn't doing what it's supposed to do. And he says, I, I want you to understand something very familiar to This is like your life. And if you are good soil where you've received the message of Jesus and you, and you say, I want to follow it, I want you to understand that's a very personal decision. But religion is, is, or true faith, I don't even like to use the word religion, but a true relationship with Jesus, it's very personal, but it's not private. It's public. And in case you don't quite get it, it's like you are a light and if you aren't letting your light shine, then you've missed it. Because that's the purpose of your life, to take what you have received and give it to others. So, to put it very simply, I, I put it this way, uh, what is our privilege? And if at the moment you're not motivated by realizing this is a privilege to let your light shine, it's also a what? Responsibility is that let your life be visible. In Matthew five sixteen. Same idea, he said it this way, let your light shine before men in such a way they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. And so we are to live in such a way that people can see Jesus in us. You ever heard that phrase, random acts of kindness? You know, that's where we just kind of go through life and something happens and we, we do something as far as with uh, kindness in our heart to help somebody in need. And that, that's a good thing. But beyond random acts of kindness, there ought to be planned acts of kindness. Oh, there's a person in need, or there's a person who has, has concerns, and I, I'm going to put it in my schedule just to, to be there for that person. And it's, it's, it's a part of our habitual way of living, where we are doing things, not that are self-serving, but serving them for the cause of Christ. And I want them to see that, that I care about them just as much, if not more, than I care about myself. I want my faith to be visible. Now, there's a wrong reference in your... In your outline, the only reason I put it wrong because I want you to be able to take notes. No, it was error on my part. It's not Ephesians 2.20, it's Ephesians 2.10. Where right after it says you're saved by faith, not your works. He says, but I want you to know you are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Which, by the way, is not something that God just thought about. He's prepared in advance for, for you to do them. So Jesus was saying, look, I want you to understand, if you want to have a word picture in your mind, what does it mean to be a Christ follower? It's not just a person who believes certain tenets about but what Jesus has been teaching. That is true. But it's a person who sees themselves as a light to shine for him, to be visible, to do things and to say things that people can see that they are a person who follows Jesus. But then he goes on, and, and Jesus was kind of rapid fire giving bullet points of what it means to be good soil and living for him. He says in verse 17, For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, nor anything secret that will not be known and come to light. And now, you know, as I look at that text, or I wrestle that text from my own life, I'm, I'm thinking, well, what, what, what is he saying here? Um, now, I use it as a phrase, uh, how do I want your life to be not only visible, but I want it to be genuine. Now, 
the reason I picked that word, and it doesn't really matter whether that's a key word that will hang that particular point on for you, but he said, I want you to understand that, that often we go through life and, and we think that we, we get away with certain things because no one saw us doing it. Have you ever done that? Oh, I hope nobody saw that. <laughs> you know, and if nobody, you look around and nobody saw it. You know, I've, I've gone through some uh, yellowish red lights. Anybody ever done that? You know, and you're looking around, you're, just, you're, you're hoping particularly somebody didn't see it that might have authority. And, 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 and then if, if they didn't see it, you know. But we need to understand that, you know, and that's just a bad decision on our part, you know, driving and, you know, that kind of stuff. But, but we do that with more important, that could be important if you hit somebody, obviously. But, but we do that with other parts of our life. As long as no one knows what we're doing or not doing, then it's, then it's okay. And all of a sudden, he says something pretty, pretty powerful to our heart and said, Look, I just want you to know that everything that's done in secret will, will be brought to light. And, and I want you to live lives that are really genuine. And, and using the theme of, of lessons to be learned is that we want to be a people that, that keep on learning. What are some things in my life that God still wants to change? And even, even if I'm the only one who knows them, He knows them, and, and He wants me to deal with it through His truth and through His Spirit to keep on changing. And it, might be, it might be certain attitudes. It, it, it might be certain actions. It might be certain habits. It might be certain ways you treat people or don't treat them. And, and, and God said, look, I, I know you're getting away with it. And, and church can be a place where people hide. They, they come, they look pretty good on Sunday, and you all look pretty good. This, well, some of you don't, but most of you look pretty good. No, you, know, you, look, you look really good this morning, but, but it's, it's not about just today, is it? It's, it's the rest of the week. And, and he said, look, I don't think you're hiding because the secret things are going to be made known. And, and sometimes even the most obvious people didn't get it. The religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the, the scribes and the, the ones who, who, who taught all the Jewish people about what it really meant to walk with God and impress the law on them. He said, I want you to understand, Matthew 23, 28 says this, Even so you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And what's the deal with hypocrisy? Hypocrisy, we, we all will, will not live up to what we believe God wants us to live up to. But the hypocrite is somehow communicating to others, you are when you're not, right? And he says, look, it, the secret things are going to come out. Be genuine, be real, and, and, and do what it needs to take to, to change. There's all avenues by which that happens, but... Be actively pursuing, recognizing where you are and where God wants you to be. Be genuine. Does that make sense? Psalm 90, verse 8 says this, You have placed our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. God is fully aware when we, we don't move on and learn the lessons that He wants us to learn to be more like Him, and we think somehow we're getting away with it. And then he goes on and he, he says this in the next verse. He says, verse 18, So take care how you listen, for whoever has to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. And you're thinking, what, 
what, what are you saying here? And, and in some ways you could say this is his motivational statement. In case you're not motivated simply because I'm teaching you this, you are all light, and if you're not being a light, you're not accomplishing what you were made to be. And if you somehow think that just because you get away with something that it's done in secret, it won't be made evident, I want you to understand that your, your life needs to be not only visible and genuine, you need to you need, understand your life is, needs to be accountable. Is that... What you have, what I've given you, if you don't use it, I'm going to take it away from you. Now, in some ways, he's talking about the positive things you can do in your life. If I've given you certain gifts and talents, I give you time, resources, and you're hoarding it for yourself, I'm going to take it away. And I'm going to give it to someone who really doesn't need it because they already have a lot, but I'm going to show you, I'm going to motivate you. If you don't use what you have, you don't use it, you're going to lose it. There's a, a parable, a longer parable. We don't have time to really go through it. But in Matthew chapter 5, 20 29, you remember the story of Jesus saying, I'm going to give, uh, got, got some people together. I'm going to give somebody five talents, some people two talents, and one person one talent. Goes away, comes back. The person who had five talents, multiply it. Now he has ten talents. The person who had two talents, multiply it. Now he has double his talents. And the person who had one talent, what did he do? He buried it. And this is what he said to him. Therefore, take away the talent from him, the one who had one, and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has more, who has, shall more be given, and he shall live in an abundance. But from one that does not have, even what he does have, shall be taken away. Now, in our American culture today, we don't think that's what? Fair. What do you mean? He's got ten already. He doesn't need this guy who only has one. Now, that's, that's not right. I mean, so he didn't do very good with the one talent. You're not going to take away that. That's the only thing he has. and That's not God's math here. If you don't use what I have, I'm going to take it away. I'm going to give someone who already has an abundance. No, but that's kind of scary, isn't it? That, that, that's kind of, we're, we're accountable to what we have. Now, now, the good thing about this story, too, I mean, we're not, I'm, I'm not teaching the parable of the talents today. The idea here is we don't compare ourselves with somebody else. You know, I wish I had the five talents. I wish I had the two talents. It's that whatever talent I have, and it's, a, it's more, it's not really, it was financial resources in that particular t- uh, parable. But the idea is, is what am I doing with what I have? Not with what somebody else has. And if you are faithful to what you have, then God is pleased. But if you're not faithful, then God's going to say, I'm going to take what you do have and get to somebody who really doesn't need it. But I want to show you. Your life is important. What you have is important. Does that make sense? And so Jesus is kind of hitting, hitting his, his, his listeners there pretty hard. Hey, I want your life to be visible, be, light, be a light. I want you to understand there's nothing really done in secret. Everything's going to be brought to light. And then thirdly, I want you to understand you're going to have to be accountable to what I've given you. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 2. Well, how, do, how, how can I be accountable to God? He said there's one thing is required of stewards, and that stewards are people who are given responsibilities. There's this one thing that's required. Be faithful. Be trustworthy. Which simply, I give what I've given you and do the best you can with what you have. Isn't that a freeing thing if you really understand it from God's perspective? And the motivating thing, if you're not, then I understand if you don't use it, you're going to lose it. I mean, there's... So many ways we can make analogies. But there, there are people, I, I've heard professional athletes say all the time, I just want to let, and very successful professional athletes, says, I, I just want to let you know, 
when I was on the playground, there were people who had a lot more ability than I had. I mean, they, they could jump higher, they could run faster, they were quicker than I was. I mean, they just had a sense of the game, but they're nowhere to be seen now because they wasted it. And whatever talent they have, they've lost it all. And you can say that in any, any particular discipline. It could be musically, you, it could be academically, uh, people who have it and then they, they just don't use it. And then they lose it. And it happens spiritually as well. So lessons to be learned. One is we have privileges and responsibilities, and, and God wants us to take advantage of them. Secondly, and this is, this is kind of a, a strange account that's given in other, other Gospels as well, but let me just read the two, three verses, and then and let's draw some principles from it. He goes from there, and then he says this, uh, And his mother and brother came to him, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd. So you have Jesus talking to the disciples and the crowd, the multitudes were there, and it kind of it got, got, it got trimmed down a little bit as some people were struggling with what he had to say. And then he went on and said some more things. And all of a sudden his family, his, I guess you call it the nuclear family, comes up. His, his mom and his brothers um, you know, come, come to see him. Another account says sisters as well. But they were a- unable to get to him. Now, normally if your family shows up, they get, they get what kind of priority? They get first priority. Hey, oh, the family's there. Make sure they get to the front row. Make sure they get to see, you know, their family member. Um, and, and then it goes on. It was reported to him. And they thought, well, all right, make way. Everybody get, make way. Make sure they get to me. But this is what he says um, after they asked the question. Your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are these who hear the word of God and do it. Now, this is kind of sobering thought because God does highlight our responsibility and what should be our love commitment to our family. I mean, he, he tells husbands, who really gets a stronger admonition, you are to love your wives as Christ loves the what? The church. Oh, and by the way, I, this is all for free. because um, Today is the is the 40th anniversary of Alice and I getting married. So we've been married 40 years today. Okay. You know, and I, and I value that relationship with my, my wife more than any other relationship on this planet. Okay. I mean, she's my life partner. You know. um, and then he says something like this. And I'm really close. Uh, I, I was super close to my dad and my mom. And my mom's going through some physical things right now. And and, and my kids uh, had the opportunity to have my youngest son here today playing drums in the first service. And we are, we are really close. And then Jesus says something like this. Oh, oh, by the way, in the relationships, it's all about the relationships that are going to last forever. And the relationship that is closest to me are those who truly believe and truly do the things that I've been teaching you. And I don't know, I don't know what, what you want to do with this other than to realize this is that we can make an idol out of anything. And an idol is anything that you worship and put at, at the top of your priority list. And as much as God gives us the primary responsibility to provide for our families, and there's many passages we could turn to that illustrate that so powerfully. But, but what he says here is, look at. There are relationships that are going to last for a time and a relationship that will last for eternity. And what you want along more than anything else is that people have a vital 
real, true relationship with the living God, which will last forever. No, no matter how you look at certain things that Jesus said, they're strong words. And I think, I think there's an understanding that puts it in perspective and healthy, but, and I'm not going to particularly go in detail about that. But in Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, how about this phrase? He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And, and, I, and I do believe that there is an intentional reason why God has put family perspective even in our relationship with him. He's our father and we are his children. Our relationship with God is more important than any other relationship. Now, on the healthy side of that, when, when God is the most important person in our life, we are going to be the best for our family and our friends. But, uh, but if somehow he gets dropped down to some other lower tier, then we've missed it. He who loves father or mother or children more than me is not worthy of me. Proverbs 18.24 has somewhat that idea as far as family and friends. A man of many friends comes to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Again, the, the level of relationship. Now, we, we live in a world where social media is pretty strong. And, you know, some people have a lot of people in their Twitter account or their Facebook account or whatever it might be. But let me tell you, it, you know, people have hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands. Some people are in the millions of Facebook followers or Twitter. All of them aren't their what? Are there, are there, all of them are not their friends. If somehow they think because they got more people than somebody else that they have more friends than anybody else, that's just ridiculous. And so we need to have deep relationships. And for a long period of time, his family didn't get it. Matthew In Mark chapter 3, verse 20, 21, when they came to Jesus in the account, this, the other, this is the other rendering of the account in Mark, they thought Jesus was crazy. You know, Jesus... They're looking at Jesus and say, ah, well, what's going on here? This, this, he's, going, he's lost his senses. And in John chapter 7, it says, even his brothers didn't believe in him before the cross and before the resurrection. I do want to make a quick comment here. This is, this is, this is for free for one. Okay. This is, you might wonder, well, how, how can anybody read this account and think somehow that Mary was a perpetual virgin? You know, that she never had children because it says in multiple Gospels that his brothers came to him. His family came to him. Well, what do they deal with this text? Well, and there's a reason why I'm going to say this, not just to kind of correct doctrine or whatever it might be is that th what they say here is that these brothers and sisters, um, another account where is that, that Joseph was married before he married Mary. So in a previous marriage, he had children. Well, I mean, that's a possible rendering of this. Uh, you could now read that into the text. The problem is that historically there is no evidence of that. So you have to impose that on the text. S you know, so... You know, secondly, I mean, I'll, I'll just give you, the, you might look up Psalm 69.8, which is an interesting reference in terms of, of the mother of Jesus and her children. But the, the other way they look at this, well, what this, what this is, is um, th these aren't really, um, oh, 
I want to say another thing about the brother is if that were true about Joseph having a previous marriage and had a, and that meant that would mean that Jesus had an older brother, the problem with that prophetically then the older brother would have been more in the line of the prophetic line than Jesus himself. He wouldn't have met the, the line of Jesus, the, the Messiah. The other thing that some would say, well, really these weren't his brothers, these were his cousins. Well, the, the problem with that is, the, the word for brother here, Adelphos, and, and you all know that, that Greek word because you know what Philadelphos, Philadelphia, which is the city of, of what kind of love? Brotherly love. The word Adelphos is only used for brothers. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but Barnabas and Mark, they were cousins, and there's a different word, Anesimos, which is used for that. So linguistically, historically, contextually, this, this can't be true of Mary. And the problem, we, we, va- we, we should esteem Mary highly. And so when we don't, then that, that's our error. But she's not the co-redeemer. You know, she, she, she's not just a little lower than Jesus. And the problem, what happens, uh, you know, I was going to break out in song, but I decided I would grace you. Um, I don't know if you remember the, the Paul McCartney song, Let It Be. When I find myself in times of trouble, trouble, Mother Mary comes to me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. And in my hour of darkness, she is standing right in front of me, speaking words of wisdom, let it be. Let it be, let it be, let it be, let it be. Whisper words of wisdom, let it be. And, and this, this, is, this is said in love, but let me tell you, Mary never whispers words of wisdom to anybody. And she would be shocked at people singing like this about her. It's Jesus who whispers words of wisdom. And, and, and the reason sometimes we, we will take, and people have taken other people to be somehow a, a go-between between us and God, there's only one mediator between God the Father and man, it's Jesus. Is there all, there's only one who went to the cross. There's only one who is Lord. There is only one who calls us into full obedience. And somehow we, we lessen what it means to know God when we have someone just whispering little kind words, thoughts in our mind. That's, that's not Jesus. That's not God. And that's not the way God works. And so we need to understand, even Jesus <laughs> said, well, who is my family? It's those who, who hear the word of God and do it. So there's levels of relationship, and that's a hard lesson to learn. But we don't want to make an idol out of anything or anyone in this life because only God deserves our worship. That's a lesson that we need to learn and keep learning. And then finally, we're going to have challenges to our faith. This this is a familiar story probably to many of you, but in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 25, we have Jesus going on a boat ride, all right? Now, on one of these days, Jesus and his disciples got in a boat, and he said to them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out, and actually it was more than just one boat, probably a, a, a number of boats. But as they were sailing along, he fell asleep. Now, why did Jesus fall asleep? Because he was tired, or to use another word, he was sleepy, right? <laughs> I mean, Jesus was fully man and fully God. He got tired, he got sleepy, and when that happened, he went to sleep. 
And he was pretty good at sleeping. He could sleep anywhere, as we'll see in a moment, at any time. And a fierce gale of wind descended in the lake, and they began to be swamped and to be in danger. So it was life-threatening. They came to Jesus and woke him up, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Which is interesting. You know, Jesus was, was so, so comfortable in the sovereignty of God and the provision of God that you know, the storms can wake them up. Only the disciples could. And it really wasn't the storms of life that bothered him. It was the lack of faith of his followers, as we'll see in a moment. Master, Master, we were perishing. And he got up and rebuked the wind and surging waves, and they stopped and became calm. And they were overwhelmed by this. And, and then he responds to them and gives them an invitation, as well as probably a veiled rebuke. Where, where is your faith? And they respond, or not only verbally, but in action, they were fearful and amazed, saying to one another, Who then is this that he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him? Now, I, I've been to the Sea of Galilee a couple times, and I have, I've been in one of those little small boats, and I didn't have the experience of a great storm coming up while I was there. But storms can come rapidly at the Sea of Galilee. And part of that is just geographically, uniquely where it is. Mount Hermon is right next to it, 9,200 feet high. And, and then the Sea of Galilee is actually 680 feet below sea level. It's the lowest lake body of water that it's fresh water in the, on the entire planet. It's not a, well, it's a, it's a significant lake. It's 13 miles long, 7 miles wide. But when the wind comes down from the height, which is, brings down cold air, it hits the, the warm uh, air of the, the lake below sea level, it can just intensify everything. And that, that place which has ravines on both sides at times, it just becomes a tunnel. And it just whips up the water to the point where they were in danger, even though they were experienced um, sailors and fishermen. And, and it was to the point that they were filled with fear. And in the other accounts, it said not only were the waves coming over the boat, the the waves were getting in the boat, and they, it, they were, it was filling up the boat. Some have said, you know, one of the things they were probably upset was not only in the situation they were in, but, but as, they, as they encountered Jesus being so powerful, they're, they're, they're wondering um, not only why he's not doing something, but they begin to almost probably make a judgment on, on who he is because when someone doesn't do something, when you know they can do something, you begin to wonder, do they really what? Do they really care? And isn't that what happens in our lives when something happens that, that we didn't expect or we didn't expect to that intensity? And all of a sudden, we, we know God. I mean, we, we, we read the Bible. God's powerful, right? Would we all agree with that? God's powerful. At least the stories about Him are pretty powerful. Well, if He's so powerful, why isn't He doing something? And then if we look at that, well, the reason He's not doing something, He must not, he must not care. And so they're just, they're just overwhelmed. We are perishing. Do something. You don't even care. You're sleeping through this. And you begin to wonder, well, how, how could they feel that? How could they think that? Had they seen Jesus care? I mean, he stopped his whole journey when he saw a woman who, who her only son had died, and she was already a widow. 
And he stopped everything and raised her from the dead. He didn't have to do that miracle. She didn't ask for that. He just did it. The centurion had just come. We got that record just before Luke chapter 8. He, he, uh, he came to, to Jesus, and, and Jesus, with just a word, could, could heal his servant, who in many people's minds was not that important. And with a word, he showed that he cared and had the powerful do something. But I think if you look at this account, what you see here and, and the lessons that we need to learn. It's one thing to realize that God has powerfully and in love helped other people go through their storms of life. But it's another thing when you go through your storms in life. Isn't that true? You know, we can read about all kinds of tragedies. I mean, it happens all the time. Now we have so much more access to information and, you know, it, it you know, rocks our world to a certain degree, but it's still somebody else, right? And then when it happens to you, it's totally different. And that's when, is our faith going to be activated or has it been more academic than active? So I leave you with this on this. And this, is a, this is an event in the life of Jesus and his followers that you could spend a lot of time talking about. But I guess we have to ask ourselves, as far, we all have challenges to our faith. And if you're not challenged now, you're going to be challenged later. And if it's not you, it'll be someone close to you. Uh, what is your storm? What is it you struggle with? Or what are you fearful that might happen to you that you wonder, could your faith endure during this? There's an interesting passage in Psalm 107, we won't turn to it, but basically you have the exact same thing. They're in the storms of life, they call out to the Lord, and the Lord saves them and calls them with a the word. They should have known this. It was in the Bible. They were familiar with the Psalms. It was almost a direct application of what they were in. But at that moment, it was happening to them, and so they didn't activate their faith. What is your storm? Answer the question for your own sake. Where is your faith? Is it in your ability to solve the problem? And we are actually involved in the things that go on in life, and we're not left to just to be a spectator when things go wrong. We are to participate in it. But is our trust ultimately in ourselves or the people around us or, or God? That if He doesn't deliver us from what we're going through, He will give us the ability to endure. And sometimes that's what God answers with. I'm not going to solve it. I'm going to give you the opportunity to endure it. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So so we have to to trust Him. Trust Him with what we're going through and say, God, no matter what you choose to do, I will trust you. I was sharing with the first service at the end. You know what's interesting about this, this storm um, experience and again faith to be tested is to then have faith that it's true is sometimes when we feel what we're in we're in difficult times we think well what did I do that was wrong or if it wasn't me maybe the people around me what did they do to wrong that I'm I'm getting the spillover from their wrong choices right usually in my life I, I'm when something goes wrong I'm looking for someone else to blame you know it can't be me but but, you know, sometimes you look around and try to blame somebody else. You know, you can't blame them. And even you look at yourself, well, you know, really, I, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, then why is this happening to me? They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. Get in the boat and let's go to the other side, right? There wasn't, this was not a sinful act. This was not Jonah. Remember the story of Jonah? 
the big fish story? Okay, the first part of the fish story is the reason, you know, he was going, he went the exact opposite direction God wanted him to do, and so God raised up the storm, and, and God did it to discipline Jonah and to get him back on the right path. Well, he got in the storm because of disobedience. They got in the storm because of obedience. Isn't that interesting? So sometimes the bad things that are happening is exactly what God wants you to be in at the moment. And he wants you to trust him. And then finally, how are you trusting God enough to do what he says? In Hebrews 11.8 says this, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed. Obeyed by going. So really, our faith is measured by, are we doing what God has said? And so in the midst of whatever we're going through that may be difficult or challenging, are we being obedient? The, the, the things we know. So often we want to be obedient to things we don't know. God, what, what do you want me to do tomorrow? Or where do you want me to live? What, what kind of thing do you want me to purchase? Or what kind of relationship do you want me to start? Well, we don't know that. Yeah, but are you going to be you know, loving to your spouse? Are you going to be forgiving to people who've wronged you? Are you going to ask for forgiveness for people that have wronged, that, um, that you have wronged? Uh, are, are you going to share your faith with the people that you know and love and care about? Are you going to find a place of service that God wants you to serve in? Uh, are you going to be faithful for your financial resources or the abilities or gifts God has given you? Know, those things God says do. So obedience is, and faith is simply doing what He's told you to do. And then those other areas, trust Him that He'll lead you, but be concerned about the things you know He wants you to do. So what's the, what's the bottom line this morning? What's the so what? Are we learning the lessons that he wants us to learn? Have you learned your lesson? Have I learned my lessons? And we keep learning the same lessons over and over again, but we have privileges and responsibilities in life, and it's some of that just a matter of attitude. Is it a privilege or responsibility? What's something God has given us to do and to be? To be a light, to be genuine, to be accountable. He wants us to realize relationships you know, have levels, and let's, let's make our relationship with God the most important relationship we have. Thirdly, when we go through challenges, are we going to trust Him? And where does that begin? It begins at the beginning, doesn't it? And so the question we all have to ask ourselves at the beginning of the journey, have we crossed the line of faith? Where we've known about God, but now we know Him. And how do you do that? It's simple. It's not easy. It's as simple as ABCs. Have you admitted your need to know Him and turn from your sin? God, I don't want to live that way. That's wrong. That's sinful in your sight. B, do you believe in Jesus? as the one and only Savior and Lord who died on the cross and rose again? Are you somehow trusting in someone or something else? And then the C, have you made that commitment? God, I'm all in. You know, I can't do it. You have to do it. But I'm all in. I give you my life completely and fully. And that's how a person crosses the line from knowing about God to knowing it, admitting their need and turning from their sin, believing that Jesus is what we claim to be, and committing to follow Him and obey Him as Lord and God and Savior. And if you already know them, then, then it's a matter of so what's, what's the next step of faith God wants you to have? What, what are some areas in your life that He wants you to be faithful in, to trust Him, to do what He wants you to do, to be what He wants you to be, to be a light where, he, where He's placed you? That's for all of us to live out. Let's look to Him in prayer. Our Father, we thank You for the, the privilege and opportunity just to just to look in at some lessons other people had to learn. But really, those lessons they had to learn are the lessons we have to learn. And keep on learning. 
And Father, you don't want us to be discouraged about what we haven't done in the past, but you want us to now take a new step and say, God, I want to be more trusting and more faithful now and in the future. Help us to to cross that line of faith if we haven't, and help us to, to live out our faith. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's stand as we sing this morning.